Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Three, two, one, zero. Hello, welcome to... Episode 182, Spencer Lum. Hey Money Clan, a very warm welcome to the Chain of Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Walsh. So Katie, really cool episode with Spencer chatting all about entrepreneurship and really diving into a lot of details as to how you can break the mold. Yeah, I loved how he really talked about his struggle and holding true to himself. Yeah, so if you guys haven't already, we'd love if you joined our Facebook community. Head on over to chainofwealth.com slash group. We'd love if you joined our community and come and say hi. All right, Kate, you ready to dive right in? Yep. Fantastic. Let's do it. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. After graduating from law school, Spencer Loom spent the next 20 years of his life hopping from one business to the next, mostly because he was unemployable and needed a paycheck. He quickly realized that there's only so much time and that running a business and dealing with that overhead can get really exhausting. Spencer came across an ad telling him how to get rich in just 60 days. The 60 days became six years, but eventually he put the pieces together and figured out how to build a business around his needs instead of building his needs around his business. Spencer now coaches and creates courses full-time while working with his wife. Welcome, Spencer. Spencer. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so glad you're here. So like Dan said, you went to law school but you did not seem to really use your law degree. Uh, Why didn't you go and work for a group of attorneys or a big law firm or anything like that? This is one of those things where you know you don't want to do something and yet you do it anyway because you don't know what else to do. Mm. And I think it's kind of like so much in life where if you don't trust where you are and what you want, you just kind of get lost in it. And that's exactly what happened for me in law school. So I'm like, I don't know what I want to, well, actually I did want, I did know what I wanted to do. 
to be honest. I, I wanted to be a photographer. That was my thing at the time. And I knew what I didn't want to do, which was law school. <laughs> but what I couldn't figure out was how I was going to make money as a photographer, which is funny because later on, many, many years later, it would become my job. And that was exactly what would become my source of income. But at the time I was in law school, I just couldn't figure out, like, how do I make an income as a photographer? And I didn't have that trust. So I'm like, well, you know, people tell me it's a good background to have. And I'm thinking, okay, why not? But I just didn't think about the fact that it's costing me three years of my life. And of course, law school is not inexpensive. And so it was a horrible decision. And my mom's listening to this. I'm really, really sorry to say that. <laughs> but um, it was just one of those things. I took the path that I knew I shouldn't have. And that's why as soon as I got out, it, it was so easy to say, well, I don't think I'm going to do this. You know, it's actually really funny. So I work in an accounting job in my day job. And I actually interviewed a candidate today to sort of be working underneath me. And she said to me, oh, I just fell into accounting. You know, I'm like an arts major and I studied like political science or whatever it is. And, you know, <laughs> I was kind of like, mm -hmm. what are you doing here? This isn't what you want to do. <laughs> you know? And she's like, yeah, like someone got the, the resumes mixed up and I ended up in an accounting job. And that's basically where she ended up. And she, she hadn't really given a thought to where do I actually want to go? She kind of just fell into the job and kind of just stayed there. And, you know, like going back to your points, it's very easy in life to sort of just follow a trail without really knowing where it goes. And I think really taking a step back and knowing or being able to realize that you're going down that path is critical to do it as early on as you, what you can. Oh, yeah, so much. I'm going to throw this out there. And people, I, I know they won't have the context, but we just talked about this before hopping on about the fact that the two of you, that you're getting married mm -hmm. and having been married and, uh, and having had this little chit chat, you know, we, we were just talking about the fact that weddings, they have this tendency to kind of fill up whatever amount of budget you give it and however much time you choose to allocate for the planning. And so the way you keep that down, of course, is exactly what you said. You become deliberate and you say, well, this is my budget that I'm giving it. And this is how much time I'm going to plan. And if you say that ahead of time, then miraculously, it will fit at least approximately within those constraints. But if you don't, then it just keeps ballooning and it spirals out of control. And I think that's a perfect metaphor for... <laughs> Well, actually, it was really, I'm stealing Katie's line. Katie said that's kind of like all of life. And I totally agree. I think that's a perfect metaphor for everything. And that's actually exactly what happened with my work. I didn't have a place I wanted to go. I didn't pause and say, this is what I'm going to do. And so, you know, life just winds up becoming whatever it's going to become. But suddenly you're along for the ride instead of kind of trying to direct the ride. And yeah, it, it was exactly like what you described about the person that you're working with. And I would sit there all day long and say, why am I doing this? How did I wind up here? It's like, this was not what I meant to do. Well, I totally can sympathize with where you're, how you were feeling back then, because I would imagine if you absolutely hated doing it, the idea of doing it for the rest of your life is quite daunting and pretty depressing. But we live in a society where being a lawyer is 
you know, looked upon as a great job. You know, if you're an attorney, you're going to make a lot of money. You're going to have a happy and comfortable lifestyle. And I think that takes a lot of courage to be able to walk away from that and pursue something else that you wanted to do, such as your entrepreneurial lifestyle. I wanted to ask you a little bit about it kind of what drew you towards that kind of lifestyle and a bit about some of your past business adventures. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it didn't feel courageous at the time. It <laughs> felt like sheer terror <laughs> at the time. And you're kind of like, well, I don't want to do this. So I guess let me see what happens. But I think I had always loved the idea of just doing something that was my own. I think kind of having ownership of your actions and feeling deliberate about what you do is a big part of what makes something feel satisfactory. Because then at least you can say, this is what I meant to do, whether it worked or it didn't work. I did it with intention. And, you know, I can take responsibility for the fact it didn't work. And that's okay, because I tried it. And I have to admit, it took a long time to feel any sense. Like everyone talks about freedom, and starting your own business is equated with this idea of being able to live the life you want. And it took a long, long time to ever get it to that point. And it became its own version of, it becomes its own prison. And it was the same thing because I said, okay, I want to do this. But then I didn't stop and I didn't say, where do I really want to go with this at first? And so it was kind of out of the frying pan into the fire, but at least it was a fire that was kind of moving in the direction I wanted to go. So it was a start. I appreciate the fact that you said it was, it took a long time for you to get to that free feeling. It's not an overnight thing because we talk to so many people and you, I personally read so many blogs where, you know, they start a new business or they start a blog. And it's like you start a blog on Monday and by Friday, you've got $100,000 in your bank account. And that's really a lot of times what it looks like when people are talking about their new financial freedom that they have for themselves. They don't yeah. talk about the hours and hours and days and months and probably most likely years of slaving away they just say, oh, nope, I started a blog and now I'm a millionaire or now I'm making six figures and life is great. And that miserable, terrified working part seems to get overlooked a lot. Yeah, and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that that goes on, right? I think kind of invariably, I mean, it's funny, as I'll tell you, I, I do a lot of copywriting. And so as a copywriter, any copywriter knows that if you want to create intrigue, you just tell people the before and the after state, and you just don't spell out what happened in the middle, which is kind of exactly what you just described, right? You talk about, okay, before I was struggling, I had no job. The after state is I hit like my six or my seven figure income or whatever, and suddenly life was perfect. And invariably, like if you introduce those two facts and you skip over the middle, people are just dying to find out, well, how did you do it? What was the secret? But the funny thing is, it's the middle. If, like, if you tell people the middle for, first, almost no one would ever jump in because they would realize, oh my God, it takes that much. And I feel like kind of this journey, a large part of the journey is going through this process of understanding the middle that you want and kind of learning to love 
the middle along the way so that you can say, I want to do this and I want to stick with this and this is worth it for me. And, and I got to admit, you know, when I heard all those stories about people having businesses, I thought, yes, you know, I'm going to get in there and it's going to happen. And man, that was so not true. <laughs> it was like the exact opposite. Yeah, I can imagine. I think one of the things as well is that success sells. So if you look at someone and you think that they're successful, you're more likely to buy into what they're trying to offer you or sell you. And I'd like to actually go back to a word you mentioned earlier, and that's mm-hmm. copywriting. So yes. first off, what is copywriting and how can you use it to build a business? So copywriting is basically just, I just describe it as writing for business. And so I say that in contrast to regular writing, which is kind of, I don't know, high school English, college English, all that stuff that everyone, either you love it or you really, really hate it. But most people are kind of on the really, really hate it and get filled with anxiety side of things. And so to separate the two, I mean, the whole point of copywriting is to kind of further your marketing and to communicate with your audience. And so it's very functional. It's all about like, how do you achieve whatever result you want? It might be getting people to buy. It might be getting people to download a podcast, but whatever it is, it's all about achieving that objective. And so the beauty of it is it's mostly strategic. It's not about like sounding good or knowing how to do your punctuation. It's about kind of how do you create a process that gets people really interested and to create an experience that makes them take action. And that kind of is in a nutshell, how I describe copywriting. Other people may have slightly different descriptions, but that's how I think of it. Cool. So you had a ton of businesses before you really got into what you're doing now. And I read through your bio and like one of the things you said is that a lot of these businesses, one of the biggest problems was that they had a lot of overhead. And um, first of all, I want to ask, what did you mean by overhead? Is that sort of your fixed costs or is that more the time that you're having to invest constantly? All of the above, both. Although uh, when I was saying the word overhead, what I was thinking of is fixed costs, but I I think actually your definition is even better. It's really (laughs) all of the above. But I I think there's this thing. It's a little bit like I'm going to use a comparison with what happened when I had a wedding photography studio. So when I had my wedding photography business, this is something that's very, un- well, I don't know if it's unique to wedding photography businesses, but it's it's different from a lot of businesses because you're always taking your bookings for some something that's happening like about a year in advance because people will get engaged, they book you, but you're not actually providing the services for another year. So you don't really actually earn that money for a full year in the future and sometimes even further because a lot of times you'll be selling something like, let's say, an album, which they're going to buy maybe three months after the wedding. And so you're getting a payment for something that's well in advance. And invariably, what happens with every wedding photographer in the world is they spend it. And so what's happening is you're collecting all this money from future work to support your life right now. And that's actually, I think, kind of what happened with in in a different way. But it's kind of something that happened with a lot of my businesses. I would come in and I would say, okay, this is my idea of how you're supposed to run a business. This is what success looks like because this is what other people told me <laughs> that I should be doing. And these, are, and I would have this idea, like to be successful, it means blank. Like I need a big company. I need a lot of people. I need an office. I need an office to be well-decorated so that people come in and they say, wow, you must be really successful. I mean, whatever it is, but it was always stuff like that. And you would say, well, you know, I'm going to put this investment in these things. 
And I'm just going to assume, even though I haven't really earned the money yet, that they are smart strategic decisions and in the future they will pay off. But the thing is they don't because you're not basing these things on either things that fulfill you or things that are profitable, which are, of course, I know two very, very different things, but it's neither. You're kind of basing these things on, let's say, vanity metrics and preconceptions you have about what you're supposed to get. And so pretty soon, what's powering your business is it's all sorts of things that really you don't need, that don't pay you back in any sort of way. They don't further your own personal growth. And because of that, you never actually get to a point where they become what an investment should be, where it's something that actually gives you a real return and pays back more than you spent. And so an office is a perfect example. Like for so long, I like the very first office I had, I had a company, this is one of the first jobs I had out of law school. I started a brand agency. And so I, I had at peak, I had 10 people there. But I had an office that could have housed like 20 and I thought, well, this makes me feel more successful and I'm planning for the future. But what's really happening is I'm eating up all my profits. I'm causing stress. I'm making bad decisions because I'm getting stressed. And that's making it less likely that I'll ever even get to 20 people. So that's kind of, I mean, that's what I meant when I was thinking overhead. But, uh, but without a doubt, like what goes along with it is just with every action you take, there's a certain amount of time that's required to kind of fulfill something. So if you say, I'm going to go on this venture and I'm going to work on, like, I'm going to start selling X, like a lot of times you focus on, well, how much money does X make me? But you don't think about like how much time it costs to make that happen. And so kind of over and over, I, I wouldn't just acquire like financial baggage. I would actually also acquire time baggage. And then pretty soon you kind of run out of both time and money, and then nothing nothing works anymore. Because <laughs> if you don't have time, you can't make money. If you don't have money, then you can't compensate for the time. And then pretty soon, like, you're in bad shape. It sounds like the old chicken before the egg scenario. Totally. <laughs> so Yes. You said it so much more concisely than I. <laughs> it's like, why didn't I just say that? <laughs> I speak to 13 nine-year-olds all day long. So I have learned to make it short and to the point. I love that. <laughs> So with all of your overhead and all of your chickens and eggs and everything, was there kind of like a defining moment either in business or your personal life that made you look for another kind of business that didn't have so much overhead? Yeah, it was when there was that promise. It's like, oh, in 60 days, I'm going to get rich, going to hit six figures. And I'm thinking, OK, that sounds great. Let me do this. And really, I mean, that's exactly, I was transitioning from my wedding photography studio into starting my first blogging business. And so I thought, this is the dream, right? You sit home in your pajamas and you're sitting around typing out stuff and you get rich. At least that's how it sounded in my head. And so that was kind of, I think, the first deliberate attempt. I really, I mean, every attempt, every new business was to some extent an attempt to kind of figure out how to get a balance that worked for me. But I think that was the first one where I looked at the working conditions and what was required to run my photography studio. And I realized it just wasn't sustainable. And I thought, okay, what do I need to do? And so even though it was kind of an impulse thing where I said, okay, let me become a blogger. It, it also wasn't a coincidence because I needed to find something that would get me time with my family. I needed to get something that I could run and stay small, but get enough to be happy with. Because I realized I don't like managing. 
I don't enjoy kind of dealing with large teams. And that's exactly what had happened with every previous job, because that was what I thought success was supposed to look like. And so when I started becoming a blogger, that was when I finally said, okay, let me try to scale down instead of scale up. And let me try to get more efficient and find a way to get things to work. Although 60 days, that didn't quite happen. But at least kind of, you know, I started thinking about it. So your 60 days didn't happen. It it actually became six years. So what exactly did happen? And like, was it just that the product was incorrect in what they were trying to sell you? Should they have said become rich in six years? Or did you just follow a different route or you didn't follow it directly? Like, where was the disconnect? I think the number one thing is that I didn't focus on getting profitable fast enough. I, I was actually just looking at it. it. Sounds better to say six years. It's actually like five years and X months to be precise. But, uh, but you know, I, I mean, obviously there's a big difference between that and 60 days. And so the thing is, like, no one really tells you kind of how many skills you need to have to run a business and everything that's involved. And so you get a certain sort of blueprint. And the information, I actually, I, to this day, I don't fault the information that I got. But it's kind of what happens. Well, you know, people will pull out the best case possible. And they'll pull out kind of the few times that someone managed to make it work. And typically what's involved is a combination of luck and the fact that they have to be kind of a perfect fit for whatever system you're buying into. And so if you have the exact circumstance with the exact same time and you have just the right skills, I mean, things can, you know, there is always a case where someone will achieve success very, very quickly. But the thing is, that's not like what happens to normal people. That's not what happens to most people. Most people aren't a perfect match. And most people don't have all the skills that are kind of assumed and baked into like a promise like that. And so for most people, the results take way longer. But I think for me in particular, there was just a lot of reticence about kind of pulling the trigger. I kept trying to make everything perfect. It's that chicken or the egg thing. I kept saying, like, I got to have the perfect product. I got to know this is going to work. And, uh, you know, now kind of in retrospect, I, you know, what I always tell people is the same, which is that you want to get profitable as quickly as possible with your business. And if you've got something you're going to sell, you know, sell it as soon as possible, sell it to a small audience, sell it, uh, whatever it takes, you know, start selling it so you can see if it actually works and you can start understanding how to actually get people to buy. And I think for me, I kept trying to find that answer in advance. So instead of putting something out there and saying, okay, here's an offer. Let me see if anyone's attracted to this. And let me see if it's going to fly. I was so afraid to fall flat on my face that I kept saying, no, let me, this needs to be more perfect. Let me get more questions answered ahead of time. And actually what I did was I just kept signing up for like course after course and listening to all these webinars. And I mean, I've still got like piles of them on my hard drive. And the truth is like, I, I became like this information addict because I so wanted to figure out, predict what was going to happen in advance instead of just doing it and getting good at it and seeing what was going to happen. I'm just curious to know in all this struggle, because it seems like you really worked towards where you are today with your law degree. Were you ever feeling like maybe I should just quit and go back to doing law? 
Well, my parents, <laughs> it's my parents do. <laughs> I'm sure along the way, somebody probably said that to you. It's, it's been said a time or two. I, I mean, no, it, it was a pretty, dis, it was pretty definitive for me. I, I just knew law wasn't what I wanted to do. So I think kind of, I never, ever really looked back because it was one of those decisions where for all the things I fell into kind of randomly and where I didn't know what I was getting into, I just knew that I didn't want to do law. And so my parents actually specifically, they have tried to convince me many, many times. I mean, you know, I think for a good like 10, 20, maybe even now my mom would still tell all her friends, yeah, you know, my son's a lawyer. And I'm like, well, not really, <laughs> but I guess, you know, if, if it makes you feel good, okay. I mean, technically. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, funny enough, I, I didn't, but, um, I mean, I thought about taking the bar for fun in New York just to see if I could pass. So, you know, if that counts. But I don't think I ever really seriously thought about kind of returning to law as a career. Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, no, it's a good question because it it comes up a lot. You're absolutely right. People always say, like, don't you ever think about it or whatever. They say, you know, think about what where you could be. But, you know, I kind of, you know, I look at my friends and how much time they put in. And I've realized that law and, you know, actually most jobs, like, you only have so much time in life. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a cliche, right? But I mean, time's all we've got. And there aren't very many jobs that are really that easy. And there aren't really many jobs that don't require that much commitment. And the truth is, like, usually to get to a point where finally you can start to build the space where you're working, let's say maybe part time, you're working 20 or, you know, you get 10 hours or 30 hours or whatever, but where you've got it stabilized, I mean, it takes a lot of work to get to that point. It doesn't happen quickly. And so it's just too much to give up just to kind of go back to something that gives you like some semblance of security, but isn't really kind of what you want to do. Right. So talking about what you do today, you essentially help coaches, creatives, consultants, basically run their business in a more effective manner and be able to do it essentially on their pajamas. Yes, yes. It's kind of, I feared that was my dream. So I figured there's got to be other people who want that. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what exactly do you teach? It is, I mean, it's not terribly unique, but, um, you know, it works. And so mostly I, I teach people, I mean, copywriting is the key thing, right? I teach people how to write and I show them how to write persuasively so they can get people to, again, kind of take action and do what they need them to do. But kind of in a bigger picture, I mean, I I help people set up kind of the strategies that they need in place to make all that work. And it's one of those things like this particular industry I'm in, information marketing, where people are teaching things like everyone's got their own system and everyone's, I mean, I'm sure you see the Facebook ads all the time, right? I mean, everyone's promising these crazy results and everyone's got their own way of achieving it. But I think kind of what happens over and over is that you get these blueprints and people talk about, okay, you know, follow these steps, but they don't prepare people to do the thinking and the work necessary along the way. And it tends to fizzle because you start to, once you start to realize a result is maybe six months away or even two months away sometimes, I mean, it becomes demotivating because you don't have that direct connection anymore. And you're just staring at like lots of hard work with an uncertain result. And then people, they just kind of, it fizzles, they give up and they quit. And so what I, what I work on specifically is I try to give people kind of the strategies and the thought processes 
and kind of a path to, well, the word I use is practice. Like the way I see life is I, I tend to think people have life a little bit backwards. And so I, I train in this martial art. It's called Aikido. And one of the things my sensei explained one day is he's like, he explained, he's like, you know, basically when I, when I started this dojo, even though I love Aikido, I, I didn't do it just to spread Aikido. I, I did it because I just want a place where I could practice every day. And that was all he cared about. And I thought that was so interesting that he didn't describe kind of maybe the success of the dojo or some accolade or some target or getting some belt level or something. He just said he wanted to practice. That's what I try to pass on to other people, a way to kind of practice. Because my feeling is that people tend to evaluate life by certain milestones. And they say, if I make X amount by this point, if I win this award by this point, if whatever, if I hit these achievements, and I have nothing against milestones and kind of having targets. I, I think targets are great, but they last for a split second, maybe a split second and a half. And after that, it, you have to go back to regular life. And so my feeling is if you kind of spend all of your life only trying to get to a particular milestone, but not kind of enjoying the practice along the way, then it becomes empty. And so I, I see practice as kind of the, like the real living and the real part of life. And I see kind of the, the, the milestones you hit as kind of these nice little pleasant blips that let you know that, uh, well, that let you feel good about yourself and let you say, yay, you know, I got that. But I mentioned that because I really focus on trying to give people a way to use strategies, not as kind of one-off solutions, but as ways where they can use it like over and over and over and integrate it and get good at what they do. Because my feeling is, well, you know, if you're good at something, you'll figure out ways to apply it to all different sorts of situations. But if someone says like, here's a formula or here's a little trick you'll only know how to apply it in one place at one time and you won't be able to use it elsewhere. So it's kind of, I mean, I guess this is a long tangent, but I guess the answer is, well, if you ask me what I do, I teach people to write. But if you ask people, ask me what I really think makes good writers, it's having a way to practice methodically so that you can kind of really invest yourself and care about what you're doing. Kind of like the way, you know, the two of you, you're so invested in looking at finance that it's not just kind of like, okay, here's, I mean, you give, great tips, but it's very clear this is something that you have a real connection to and a real interest in. And it's kind of based on a belief and a way of living. And and once you kind of take it into that, into your life that way, things, they, they get a life of their own, right? I mean, they become kind of part of you. And once that happens, you actually start to engage in this process where it becomes more important to kind of live a certain way and do certain things than just kind of say, okay, did I get super rich super fast? Right, yeah. And that totally makes sense. And that is exactly how we feel about it. So you literally hit the nail on the head there. That's good. You know, I'm like thinking, I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this isn't just conjecture. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it really comes through. And, you know, I've listened to so many of your, your talks and I just feel like I'm like, there's so much commitment there. It's not the type of thing where people are like just saying, hey, you know, I'm putting this out there because it'd be great to get a little bit of attention and, uh, and, you know, get people on a list or sell a product or whatever. I mean, those might be things like, for example, I know somewhere along the way I'd heard like kind of you talked about a product. But um, you have a real commitment to the subject. And I think that's what you want in life. Like when you can have a real commitment to what you do, it doesn't make everything fun always, but it kind of makes things meaningful. And I guess that's why I never 
really thought about going back to law school because, you know, it might have gotten me money, but I just couldn't see how it could make things meaningful. And I couldn't see how it would be something where I would want to really kind of commit to it and practice. Yeah, that makes sense. So Spencer, would you like to give us a 30 second elevator pitch for Extra Bold? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, Extra Bold is really, at the end of the day, it's about influence. It's about kind of understanding how to use writing to get people to take action. And really kind of my goal is to bring it at a level where it's about kind of the underbelly of how influence and persuasion works. Like I teach people not like, okay, here's the tip and here's what you do. I mean, I've got that too. But in my mind, if people learn that, that's not enough. <laughs> what I want people to do is understand the psychology of it. So they, they know, okay, if I want people to feel this way, I say this. If I want people to do this, I say that. And so that's what Extra Bold is dedicated to. It's really kind of putting out what you do in a way that changes, like as a business owner, like creating something that's meaningful and that changes your audience beliefs. So they get excited about it and you connect with them. And eventually, of course, they also wind up buying your product. So I guess that's the quickie overview. I just made that up on the spot. So that's all new. Haven't said that before. You know, let's give it a go. Good job. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Money Clan, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value link round. Kate, I've recently started diving into the Gray Courses Plus and it's been life changing for me. They have absolutely amazing videos about a whole bunch of different topics. I've really, really enjoyed going through their courses. Yeah, then the courses that are talking about money management skills have been my favorite because they really narrow down and they help you look for pros and cons of big decisions like home ownership or what kind of car to buy or retirement funds. It really helps answer some of those questions that you didn't really know that you had. Yeah. And something else that I love is that the lectures are given by professors from some of the best universities in the world or experts from the National Geographic and the Smithsonian. And I think that level of expertise in the quiet comforts of your home is super awesome. What I love as well is that you can use their mobile app or any other device. You can stream it on your TV or wherever else. It makes it super easy to use. And it comes without any student loan. Yes. And it comes without any student <laughs> loans. It's super affordable. So speaking about affordable, if you guys would like, The Great Courses Plus has recently teamed up with us and we can give you a month of free access. Head on over to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash wealth. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com forward slash wealth. Okay, Spencer. So I know before the show you were like, I'm not like a super personal finance guru or anything. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but... I think that the best way to learn about money is hearing what other people are doing. So I'm curious to know what your retirement plan is looking like today. Yeah, it's pretty boring. But, uh, you know, basically what my retirement plan looks like is max out my IRAs, which, by the way, I didn't do when I was younger. And that was a huge, huge mistake. And then every month I do two things. I stash a certain amount into conservative stocks, not aggressive ones, but actually kind of like just kind of more tried and true and blah, blah, blah. And then the other thing is I just put away a certain amount into the bank account that 
I simply, that's kind of my rainy day slush fund. <laughs> and so it mostly, it keeps on growing. I, I rarely actually ever take anything out from there, but I've kind of found that it's one of those things. Like if I have money that I feel like I can use, then I wind up spending it. So I just put it away in a place in, in its own account so that I can't touch it, which goes also true for the IRA. And that's my rule for the stocks too. It's like, these are things that I like, I, I can touch the stocks if I'm shifting it around and changing the investments, but I never take it out for my own personal use. And so, you know, not super exciting. And other people I know, they have like these way better plans, but that's what I do. Nothing wrong with that. Sort of stashing stuff away really does make sense because if you can't see it, you can't touch it. And that leads into my next question. Do you currently have a favorite book that you're into? The book that I'm into, I mean, I really like The Power of Habit. I've always been a person lacking in willpower my whole life. And so kind of looking at this idea of the world as habit and looking at change as affected by habit, not kind of this idea of mind over matter. It, it really, I mean, I, I read it a while back and I'm rereading it now, but it really kind of changed the way I see behavior. It's helped me a lot with everything like finance and everything else, because it, it's let me see that like I need to build patterns and structures and things to, to force me to think kind of differently over time. So anyway, um, yeah, that, that's what I'm into at the moment. That's what I'll put out there. Okay, great. And do you have a favorite quote you try to live by? Yeah, I'll go back to Aikido and kind of what I'd said. There's a phrase called dying on the mat. And basically what it means is, uh, well, what I thought it meant is that you got to give it your all every time you train. And then one day I realized that has nothing to do with it. Or maybe it does, but, uh, but that's not really what it means. What it means is like anytime you step onto the mat in the dojo, you let go of your entire self. That's why it's dying. And you come on with no assumptions and no preconceptions so that that way you can learn fully and you can absorb everything around you. And so I, I just love that idea because I feel like if you accept life as it is and whatever's in front of you, it'll give back and it'll give you everything you need. But the catch is you kind of have to let go of all your preconceptions of how you think things should be. And you have to let go of things like your ego and all these other ideas. And if you do, you'll find out like, like life and the universe and everything else, it, it's there for you and it'll take care of you. So true. Spence, we absolutely loved hanging out today. Do you have another last parting piece of advice for our listeners? And then we'll say goodbye. I mean, my number one piece of advice for anyone, if they're thinking about starting a business, like by far is just work on getting profitable fast and stay within your limits. It's a long haul journey. And the sooner you can get connected with generating a profit and making things work, and the more you can keep costs down and overhead down and everything else, the more you're able to find a life that actually works and lets you do what a business is meant to let you do, which is kind of have freedom. Money Clan, we've been out with Spencer. You can check out his website. It's goextrabold.com and definitely figure out how you're going to build freedom in your life. It's definitely going to change everything for you. We'll catch you on the flip side, Money Clan. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 